Welcome to the Exit Plan Podcast. Today, I talk to Hassan Fadlala, the founder and CEO of Brand Lounge, an award-winning branding consultancy based in the UAE. He describes how the pandemic in 2020 was the catalyst for him to change the way he thought about his business and how that led to him acquiring a startup talent management firm that specializes in culture called People Mina. Hassan's experience shows that it can be quite straightforward to put a deal together if it's a right fit from both sides. Hope you enjoy our conversation. First of all, thank you so much for having me on your show, Barnaby. I've come across your podcast only recently through a common friend and acquaintance. And uh, it was very insightful to see something so specialized within the M&A world, specifically for the advertising production design industry, an industry that I've fell in love with, not only by practice, but I think it was part of my DNA. So I was born probably a marketeer and studied business marketing in Lebanon, where I come from originally. Moved to Dubai as soon as I finished and I joined my passion. Well, what I believe at that time is where my passion lies, which is advertising and in the world of communication. So a track record of agencies that have been absorbed and acquired over time, like a legacy brand called DMBNB, Darcy Massius Benton and Bowles, a very much a Chicago posh ad agency with all its glitz and glamour in the region, working on businesses like General Motors, Procter & Gamble, Mars, the dream of any ad executive at that time. And then it was acquired by Become 3 with Saatchi and Saatchi, Leo Burnett, and part of the Densu setup. So I moved to publicist and remained there until 2006, where I left as the deputy GM for the lower Gulf and found my specific spot there within what was known in the world of advertising as strategic planning and business development. So opened offices uh, across the Gulf and through networking, I've gained a lot of business and contacts. In 2005, I was at one of those conferences, speaking engagement, and I met a very interesting guru in our industry. His name was Jack Trout. And Jack Trout, him and Al Reese together coined the term brand positioning in, back in 1969 when they wrote about uh, positioning the battle for the mind. And I've been struggling in trying to get clients, particularly to look beyond the visual aspect of any business and brand. And here is Jack Trout talking purely about strategic differentiation, an area that not only resonated based on need in the marketplace, but also because of what my experience and expertise has been. And I was looking for that niche that I could start something around that space. And this is where Brand Lounge started back in 2006 as a one-man show, a strategy-led person to tackle brand creation and brand development from the strategy angle. That solo act did not last long for many reasons. We were blessed uh, during that time with an influx of businesses and growth within the UAE economy, specifically in the real estate sphere. And for a period of time, almost a year or so, this is exactly the specialty that we're doing. 
So we were into brand creation of yet another real estate brand being developed on a regular basis. So then the crisis hit. And I think that's the, a very difficult period in the end of 2008, 2009. But it's the best thing that ever happened to me personally and to Brand Love. Because this is where we managed to pivot and understand that why Dubai only? Why real estate only? So the concept of pivoting and growth, in addition to many other things that have been picked up along the way, which is the importance of cash flow, for example, in any service business and per se, especially when you're dealing with heavy resourcing. I think that gave me that push and energy to do what we do for clients, which is to take a positioning pause, a planning pause. And that, I would say, has been the seeds that were implanted in me for what growth is all about. Don't settle for what you have when you plateau, when you reach a phase where you're becoming stagnant. This is where you need to push. And always, it seems, and maybe that's particular to me, that those thinkings come from a crisis. So here in 2020, COVID hits and I find myself working on eight scenarios. If this business is lost, what happens? If this business is gained, what happens? Thankfully, none of the eight scenarios had happened and we ended up with a record year. But one thing that got me to start thinking, of course, saying, okay, we've managed to survive. Now, how do we thrive? So the next five-year plan started taking shape uh, during that time. So by 2021, when we fully remove the dust of COVID and its impact to some extent, of course. A five-year plan was came to life and it was very specific to which areas we want to grow. You can't simply organically grow. So you would grow at a very modest incremental growth, but I was looking for something that's much bigger than where we were. And hence, I had to align our philosophy our methodology, and as well our business plan into the areas that really we see growth in. What also came out of that period is a white paper that we initiated during COVID, which is how to do a save, you know, the uncharted the waters after COVID. And I spoke to almost 150 CEOs, business owners, from within our blind base and contacts. The two buzzwords that came out of it is purpose and culture. And we know that purpose is our number one component of our strategic output, because if we don't figure out the why, there is no point in building a brand that resonates in people's minds. But we needed to strengthen that, which was easy tweaking and workshops and things like that. But culture has always been a byproduct of the strategy where we stopped and said, you know what, let's work on the values, then take the outcome of that and execute it and run with it alone. Post that period, this was no longer the case. Clients were working on how to align the culture behind their values and how to change that neglected area of their business and brand. Everyone suffers from one way or another an issue within their culture, but they don't admit because that's a failure upon them. So we decided to grow that. We started with it initially. However, I think that's an area that you want to address later, which is what did we do about that? 
I can continue yeah. unless yeah, you yeah. ask me. <laughs> well, no. So, okay. So I'm interested in just to give me a sense of the sort of size of Brand Lounge in yes. 2020 when you started to make this plan, like employees and what kind of clients you were working with and, and revenue and that kind of thing. Sure. So Brand Lounge within the past 18 years has been organically growing. We were not part of one of those groups where the investment comes from abroad and it is dictated how we grow or how do we scale up and down. So it was purely based on our ability to deliver results. And a company that, as I mentioned earlier, started as a one-man show ended up being across the years, a company of 35 people with two operations. I can claim now the second operation as of October 18th, which is two weeks ago, our Riyadh office was brought to life. A very interesting and prospective market that we've been heavily engaged in since 2011, but we did not physically exist. And with the vision 2030 that the crown bliss has set in Saudi Arabia, it was evident that we needed to be there. So we're running two operations yet. As I mentioned earlier, when I met Jack Trout, the result was not only being inspired to start something, but also to do FI up with Jack. And we became part of a network of almost 24 operations across the globe. So we have resources and assets that we could tap on. Hence, we're talking about a network globally of around 5,000 people. However, within the Middle East, we are 35. Okay. And that network approach is quite interesting. What's the arrangement with the network? How does that work? It's a partnership that was started with Jack Trout, where he has identified individual partners in each of the local markets. Yet, Jack Trout passed away and he sold the rights of the network to China and the Chinese partners decided that they don't want to run it themselves. They own it, but we set up a board of six members. I am one of them where we would run that network. So the way it works is that they have no equity within the local operations. There is no financial arrangement. It's a knowledge transfer and a support mechanism. As and when where we see a specialty, let's say a live example, the Turkish partner has a lot of telecom experience and we have a telecom exercise. We draw on the expertise of that partner. So that's the deal on the network front that we have. Okay, so you've grown your business to a team of about 35. Congratulations on the Riyadh office. That's very exciting. While I've got you here, I just wanted to let you know a little bit about me. After having acquired a TV commercials production company earlier this year, I'm currently doing a roll-up in the video production space, and I'm looking for production companies to join my group. If you don't think you're quite there yet, I'm also spending some of my time advising smaller businesses on business growth and exit planning. So if you want to chat to me about that, drop me a line on LinkedIn. Here endeth the advert. Tell me a bit about how this acquisition came about. You touched on the idea of like having to grow through acquisition, but then in practical terms, how do you go out and find your target? Absolutely. To understand that, there are two things that we have to tap on. One is our philosophy, and the second one is our growth strategy. And they are so much entwined with each other. 
our philosophy, which we pride ourselves, which we believe is a unique POV for us, and that sets us apart from competitors within the region, is that we look at brands as a multidimensional experience, where the typical traditional components of a brand consultancy is strategy and design. For us, it is beyond that. We look at areas that define purpose, that defines culture, that defines image and innovation. So those, what we call the dimensions of differentiation is how successful brand experiences are built on. Strategy tackles purpose, hits on culture, but doesn't fully execute it. Image is tackled by design and creative impact, which is from a rollout perspective. And innovation is an area that we still are looking to even uh, expand further on. Currently, either we work with partners or it is, again, at the surface of it from a strategy or a review of a business model. So out of those, we already had strategy picked and design picked that covers purpose and image. But culture, and specifically up to 2020, was something that was nice to have and later, especially post-COVID, became super and this is where the actual start or the search for how do we do that. We started building the components of it internally, building our own methodology for it and testing it within existing businesses. But we needed an executional arm. And then the search heavily started to look at players within the market that have two criteria. One is that there's a cultural fit between them and us and at the end of the day. It's culture, that practice that we are delivering. And two is that they understand culture, not from an HR, but rather from a brand perspective as an implication. We got to finally, within search, within our network, our partners, our wide exposure in the market to find the ideal contender, a boutique, small size, talent and people management firm. That, funny enough, was only eight months old. But it tells you a lot. And again, we don't regret that. We went with it to a, with full conviction that this is the ideal thing. One, because they saw beyond the fluff and beyond the traditional model. The tools and the IPs that they've built in prior to the eight months of operation. Till eight months of operation, I think it requires uh, almost five years from us or anyone to build. And three, their business plan that they've already set and they started to materialize at the early stages of their rollout with Ministry of Labor, with others, we saw that this is the right potential. They, on the other hand, needed the back office support and they needed uh, someone that could plug that offering within their as full spectrum of services. So it's a perfect fit. And we went with that. And how many owners? Was it one or two founders of that business? It is a one founder that yeah. we've worked with as a consultant that we outsourced some uh, projects before with. So it's tried and tested. Um, someone who's very well connected in the business space and uh, there couldn't be a perfect fit for a complementing relation than this because we are super active as on a growth and business development level. We have a 
track record with some of the very big businesses and brands in both public and private sector, yet they were not at all within his sphere and those that uh, he was starting mm-hmm. to work with were not within that. So we found there's a lot of synergies from minute one of the conversation. Okay. And did he have a team as well? Yes. It's a startup team, a total of yep. four. So him okay. and three others. But exactly what we were looking for. Exactly. Okay. It might sound to some as not sexy, it's too small. But on the contrary, we needed the fit. We needed this a small team that we could scale. But it was already up and running. So yeah. we didn't want to change course that will take years to bring that acquisition and uh, alignment in place. We've seen it. We've worked with clients who still, after two, three years of mergers, still have a disconnection between the two parties. And yeah, yeah. we didn't want to fall in this trap that we knew very well. Okay. From a strategic perspective, I completely understand that it was a really good fit. Um, so now, from a sort of practical point of view, normally with a sort of business of that size that's quite small, how did you go about making the acquisition? Did you buy the limited company or was it what's called an acqui-hire where you, you hired the founder and brought the team across and incorporated them into your business that way? It's an acqui-hire. But it's purely on the talent and the people spectrum because we didn't need the brand name nor the trade license or anything else. So this was dissolved and we got that under our own operation of Brand Lounge into what we called a branded service. So the company that we acquired is called People Mina. And when we acquired People Mina, it became Brand Lounge People, BLP. And it is the culture practice of Brand Lounge. And they are fully integrated within the team. And of course, there's more hires that will come directly under BLP. Okay. So I'm always interested in like how this is then structured. Like what was the offer to the founder? How did you make him an offer that was attractive enough for him to come and join you? So how it was structured, you know, we are talking about a company of four. You took a company that was eight months old. So there was no bankers involved. There is no historic data to review much. Again, I would stand behind the two criteria that I've put. Cultural fit and chemistry, the passion that I saw into bringing this startup into exponential growth. This is really what he wanted to see out of all of that. This was his main concern. I believe I have a gold mine that alone will take me time, effort, and money to do it by myself. Here is an established brand consultancy that sees through me, that understands and appreciates what I've done so far, understands that there is IP behind what has been developed prior to even launch. And we are interested and we need that strategically. We need to have culture practice that is fully integrated and fully functional. Okay, so this is kind of getting into the nitty gritty of it. So there's some IP there. I'm just thinking about the valuation because it's, yes, it's a small team. It's a young business. Though you can't really look at evidence of repeat clients. But as you're saying, there is some IP there. How do you value that? How do you value that? Look, I put myself in his shoes because there isn't any business owner that is ready to exit or not, that does not think of exit and has to work on that basis. So methodology, IP, tools, of course, brand value and all the intangibles that 
has not yet developed in, in his particular case. But those were looked at maybe from the angle of the willingness to pay, okay, of clients for those specific IPs. And I did test it with one client. And when I saw that it's maturing into even a, an agreement, that I was able to tag a number to that. I went back transparently and I opened that and said, we're interested and clients are interested. So let's make it happen. I left, to be honest, the valuation of those IPs and the eight months and prior to that to him. And it was super fair. And there was no negotiations. There was no negotiations on the value of this. The negotiations was mostly on moving forward, way forward. In terms of there is a component of cash, which was, it was easily aligned on. And there's the negotiation on equity swap or equity. And that was, I think, what was structured from based on KPIs. So it wasn't just put on, it's a one lump sum thing. So there are certain milestones and KPIs that have to be managed in terms of the team that we're bringing, in terms of pipeline that we're building, in terms of the targets that are being achieved. So it's a progressive equity deal. Okay, got it. And in terms of because he's going from being a founder to then being an employee, and then you have to negotiate an employment contract and a salary. Was that fairly straightforward? I always feel I'm the only employee in this company. Honestly, <laughs> I am salaried like everyone, and I am the first in and last out. And I don't think that's the culture that we harness here. So mm-hmm. I think it's the end game that he bought into it. He knows who he's dealing with. He has met the team for a couple of months that he's been in and out. He saw the culture that I've built across the years. So I don't think he saw it from the angle or that I am losing my freedom as a founder and coming in because I think he saw that there is a bigger opportunity in building something jointly that he could uh, scale much faster, has the support, has the backing, has the fun element all this adrenaline rush that comes with closing businesses and performing well, I think that is the re-catch and that he saw and bought it. That is very, very, very interesting. So when did the deal go through? It started around a year ago. There was like more of a project jointly done. So we got to have a feel of what we're talking about. The real conversation took place in June. 2023 and it didn't take more than three months to close yeah that's very quick because it was fairly simple i know i'd love to be talking about a a 1.2 billion deal but it is not the case but for us it is more important than that because what's the point of only acquiring for the sake of acquiring if it is not a strategic fit and fuels our growth plans yeah i think it's very interesting perspective it's super interesting that that the deal like when you find the right fit, it just falls into place, right? It just happens really quickly. And I think, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are thinking about selling one day, but there's also the perspective of actually you can go out and buy a small shop, you know, in this way that's actually mutually beneficial and super simple to put together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it is simple. Yes, it is strategic. And yes, it's very important for us. 
I am very pleased with what we have. And I saw even when we launched in Saudi Arabia, the main message was brand loud is in Saudi. However, clients picked up on the BLP offerings more than anything else. So they said, okay, this is an area that we can actually talk about now beyond the traditional work that we expect or we've engaged with. Not that it is not needed, not that it is not super important and strategic for them, but they saw that this is the real area where they could also tap and that we're able to start offering a complete spectrum of that service, which honestly, no one has it fully in-house. And again, I think this is one of the components that we wanted to press the button fast on because in my five-year growth plan that I've set, that was always there from 2020, 2021, and it should not have taken that much time, but we understand that there were priorities. However, moving forward, I think this is where the, the fun starts because that's how we're looking to grow is not on the service components. Yes, it has to be strategic and yes, it has to be complemented, but we have aspirations in geographical growth through acquisition. We have aspirations in local and regional setups that complement on digital, on different areas that we intend to execute within the next five years to really run on our position in the market. And do very interesting. And do well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you actively looking for more targets now? Call that uh, podcast as a call for uh, <laughs> for interested parties that we are on the new belt. Yes, yes, we are. Okay, we have a okay. plan to grow approximately fifty percent year on year, and twenty twenty three we exceeded that by almost reaching ninety percent. So we're in the right place at the right time with the right economy with a fantastic team with a great quality product and service. However, to do those numbers, you can't simply rely on that being an ongoing and static dynamics to follow. So yes, we have to look at who's out there and we will be looking hard at the numbers. Great. Well, that's fantastic. So just looking back at your experience over the last year of making this acquisition, what have you learned from it? Is there anything that you would do differently next time? No. I wouldn't do anything differently. On the contrary, I would build. I would build on that. You know, sometimes there is good feeling, not the right business decision or a criteria to use, but it is there. It is about the chemistry. It's about the strategic fit. So those things I would build on. I would not change. Obviously, moving forward with larger deals and bigger acquisition formats. It cannot be the same dynamics. So we know who to bring on board when it comes to that. But I wouldn't change anything that I've done for something of that nature at Canada. Okay. I think the reason why I would say that because it is actually in that case, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the selling party. Okay. They've seen it coming to life. They've put their heart, sweat and blood into it. And it's not easy to give it away at a very short period of time, knowing that they have the potential. So you have to make it a sexy deal. You have to talk beyond numbers and you have to walk the talk. And so far, that's how it is. And this is how it will remain definitely from our side. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. It's very, very interesting to hear your story and congratulations on 
getting the deal across the line. Thank you so much for having me, Barnaby. Really enjoyed our conversation and watch that space. We have another one so. Excellent. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you very much for listening to the Exit Plan podcast. I'm going to be introducing an M&A Q&A section to the podcast. So if you've got any questions that you'd like answered, drop me a line on LinkedIn or send me an email on barnaby at foxcogroup.com and I'll make sure that your question gets answered in a future episode. I'm also planning some live events in 2024, bringing together experts in the M&A space and the Exit Plan community. So if you're interested in early access to those, follow the Exit Plan podcast page on LinkedIn and sign up to our mailing list. I've left a link for that in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do leave us a review. It really helps other people find us. And if you're wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan, drop me a line.